welcome to another episode of Evi Gore, the horror movie podcast. I'm your host, Damien. And I'm your other host, Tris. How are we doing? Not bad. You? I'm, I'm not too bad. All the better for seeing you in a Halloween mask. It's better than the real thing. I know. You don't want to take that off. You'll scare every single viewer going. <laughs> if it's good enough for Michael Myers, it is good enough for me. Um... <laughs> nice leading. Nice leading. I like it. <laughs> So, yeah, welcome to Ebargo. What is Ebargo, Tris? I know this was your brainchild, so why don't we tell oh. people what Ebargo is? Oh, yeah, I mean, if anybody's sort of watching from Yorkshire, they'll get it straight away. But anybody that's watching, like, further afield or listening further afield, they may not quite understand it. So there is a famous saying here in Sheffield and Yorkshire as well, uh, where we say Ebargo, when something kind of shocks us or, you know, something's a little bit out of the normal. So, Ebargo. So yeah. it's only, you know, it's only right. For a movie podcast, let's go for e-by go. We like a bit of go, blood, guts, jobs are good. Yeah, that's kind of my forte. I'm a big go hound, so I'm looking forward to getting into some of these. So, why choose e-by go? There's so many other horror podcasts out there. The thing that we're wanting to do differently is we're going to look at horror movie franchises. I don't know about you guys out there, but when I'm listening to podcasts or checking out YouTube channels for horror reviews, you know, you always get the big ones. You get your, your Halloweens, your Texas Chainsaws, but really you don't get many that go deep on these franchises. And for me, that's where the fun lives. Going deep on franchises like Texas Chainsaw Massacre or Puppet Master or Jaws. Um, that's where the fun lives because you get this sort of steady decline from the first one and it gets worse and worse and worse until you uh, you either pull your hair out or you do discover some little hidden gems um, that's if you can manage to sit through the first one and actually pluck up the courage to watch the second one because the first one was that crap well that's you you that's, and it yeah, that is me that is me you were talking to a guy that last week sat down with a day off work and thought how many of the puppet master movies can i fit in today spoiler <laughs> alert it was eight. Oh, good god <laughs> When normal people sort of binge watch Friends and Big Bang Theory and the occasional odd horror movie, you watch Puppet Master all eight films. Well, it's actually twelve. I didn't, I didn't get. I didn't. I didn't, oh, didn't get through the final four. But uh, I mean, what's normal? I love. I mean, that's a great thing about this. Chris. I mean, why don't you talk about your relationship with horror before I uh, spring my trap on you? <laughs> you can try. Uh, yeah, I think you're very much like you like watching sort of any kind of horror. Uh, as we've discussed many, many times over, you will watch anything, B-movies, Korean horror, Turkish horror, pretty much anything. For oh, yeah, me, well. I kind of like my horror a little bit more ergonomic, a little bit more organic, a, a little bit more real. I want to be scared. I want to feel part of the experience. So your Turkish horror, I think you, you told me about something that you watched at one point, and I was literally like, it does not sound like my thing. That's I want to be scared. Awesome. That, that's the one. I want to be scared. I want to feel my heart pounding in my chest. I want to jump. I want, I want that scare. I want to feel part of the movie and I want to feel like it's an organic experience. So I like the horror very much real. And uh, I do struggle to connect with stuff that isn't like that, as we'll probably find out a little bit later on. I will say, going back to the Turkish horror that you mentioned there, which is Baskin, if you like your horror scary, that is one to watch. I would not put that under the schlocky side of things that I watch. It's one of the most brutal, glorious movies I've ever seen. Probably one we won't cover on here unless it gets a sequel. But yeah, I definitely recommend anyone go and check out Baskin. I think it's streaming on Shudder at the moment or, or Amazon Prime. Go check it out. But yeah, I understand what you're saying. You're, you're a bit of a fancy boy. You like you like, you like all those big horrors, those shiny ones, those great visual effects. I watch anything, really. I tend to find something to love in most horrors. I mean, as long as the filmmakers make it with love, that's kind of a big thing for me. So I will sit and watch full moon movies 
Charlie Band stuff or Larry Cohen stuff and anything like that because you can tell that the filmmakers have they've put a lot of effort into it. They're making great films despite budgetary issues. Whereas you look at something like The Asylum that specialise in mockbusters and they're kind of just pushing any old shit out just for the sake of trying to make a few quid. That's not really my bag. But where if I can find some low-budget horror with a bunch of puppets or a bunch of dolls that come to life and want to skewer someone, I'm all for that. Last year, around Thanksgiving time, which I know we don't celebrate here, but I come across a film called Thanks Killing about a killer turkey. And, mate, it was fucking awesome. I think it was made on a budget of 1,500 quid. And I tell you something, it was one of the best 85 minutes I've ever spent. There is a sequel a to that. Turkey. A killer oh, there's turkey. There's a sequel to a killer turkey. Mate, was... Everybody's Thanksgiving and Christmas completely ruined. But yeah. you, you say there, I like my sort of like my, my fancy stuff. I like that, you know, the big light stuff. I wouldn't probably say that's quite true because, you know, there are some really big budget movies, some really big fancy budget movies out there that I just don't connect with. Uh, I think the budget doesn't really matter. Uh, the effects don't overly matter either as long as it, I get that scare factor. And I think that's the difference with me. I, I do like to be scared. I like my horror to be horror. And I think that's what, that's sort of where I enjoy watching movies. Don't get me wrong. I will watch anything as well. You're probably going to make me watch some utter rubbish throughout part of this uh, this podcast series. But yeah, I'm well, down for I, it. I, I, Let's see I, if we can, I, I, we can get some education on some terrible movies. You never know. I'm going to actually be surprised. Well, you do need some education on movies. And this is when we t- we've talked about doing this for a while. Yeah, I, I know we have. And when we started talking about doing franchises, this was kind of like, you've given me a lot of shit over the years, not just in horror movies, but, you know, we've worked together in music and lots of different ways. You, you've given me a lot of shit over the years, especially on stage. So when I found out that there was a possibility for me to make you sit through some of the most challenging horror movies of your life in terms of cheese and gore, when I know that you're really either not going to be into them or you're going to, it's going to stretch you to really get into it. I thought this was perfect. We've started quite nicely on this first franchise, but be prepared because we're going to be going deep. I've got a subscription to Full Moon Features, Full Moon's subscription. It's like their version of Shudder. There's just access to everything they've ever done. Evil Bong, Killjoy, Puppet Master, all that sort of stuff is absolutely freaking awesome, and we're going to hit all of it up. When you say we're going deep, it sounds like our time in prison, mate. It really does. <laughs> this will be worse. Um, <laughs> but yeah, we're starting this batch of franchise movies with the classic. It's got everything to do with the fact that it is Halloween right now, because if nothing else, we are shameless self-promoters. There is also a new Halloween movie coming out in Halloween Kills, which we'll be covering as well. So, yeah, we're going to be doing Halloween, the original 1978 one this time around. Tris, want to talk about the movie a little bit? What's your history with it? You know, what was your experience of watching it for the first time? Yes, I, I think I probably watched this, uh, bearing in mind it's a 1978 film, so I wasn't even a sperm back in 1978. I'm 39, 40 in December, so this is even before my time. So, you know, it's quite an old one. But I watched this probably when I was about 11, 12, 13 year old for the first time. Didn't really get any scare from it then, but then again, I was very young, very, very new at that age. Probably shouldn't have actually been watching it, but we all watch stuff that we shouldn't be watching, don't we? Yeah, I mean, sometimes, you know, things which are old can age like a fine wine. This one, I have to be honest, when you said, yeah, let's do this one for the first one, there was very little I could actually remember about the plot, about the actual right. thing. Obviously, the one iconic thing that comes out of it is the one iconic character, which anybody that follows horror sort of knows about Michael Myers and Mikey. you know, it, 
Mikey, good old Mikey. That's something that everybody, even if you're not really a horror fan, if you watch any of the films, you know that that's the lasting sort of thing, which is, is all about Halloween, the films. Did know a little bit about it, obviously from being a musician, the, the good old director, and that he was kind of responsible for absolutely everything in this film. But it was like kind of watching it with fresh eyes when you've not watched it for almost 20 years and you can't remember much about it, it was nice to actually watch it with complete fresh eyes and watch it with maybe a, a critical view in mind of doing this podcast as well. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, what I would say before we start really in on, on this review is we're not intellectuals here, guys. I mean, you can tell I'm wearing a creepy mask and Triss is old. <laughs> but, um, <laughs> I don't know if I'm more scary than you, to be fair. I'm not sure, but we're not scholars. We're definitely not film scholars. We're not here to take you blow by blow through cinematography and all that sort of stuff. We're just here to really poke fun and have a bit of a laugh and talk about our experiences with it. We're not going to go blow by blow on Halloween. I mean, it's the most pointless thing. I mean, you can probably find, if you type in Halloween on YouTube now, you'll probably find 10,000 reviews and it's usually some nerds sat there going, well, then Michael Myers stabs his sister and then he kills her this and then he does And we don't really want to be giving that kind of vibe. We're just two mates sitting around talking about horror movies. And that's the vibe we want to do. If you're into that, great stick about. If you're really looking for something a bit more intellectual, to find something else. Um, but yeah, <laughs> my first experience with Halloween I started watching horror movies from a really early age, so about sort of six, seven, something like that. And I think I saw Halloween for the first time when I was probably about 10. So I'd already had a good sort of three or four years horror movie watching by the time I got around to Halloween. And I think my overall experience of the watching it for the first time was a bit underwhelming. I'd seen, I'd sort of started by watching films like Texas Chainsaw Massacre. I'd also films like The Exorcist and Amitable and films like a lot of supernatural stuff, but also a lot of more brutal stuff. So my taste for horror was, even at that age, was kind of wanting something either gory or, or really scary. And I remember and I feeling... I guess that I think a bit tame, wouldn't it, compared to what you were watching before? Yeah, I mean, at the time, I'm guessing it wasn't because it was such a huge hit. There, there are things which we'll get into. There are things that I really like about the movie, but there are also things that I really don't like about the movie that I don't think work quite as well. Oof, I can feel those dislike, but those thumbs down on the uh, YouTube already. That's it. First episode, we're coming out swinging at Halloween. What stands to take? Give us someone. Yeah, let, let, let's just get into it. Let's just let's just have a talk about it. Watching it again this time. I mean, I tend to watch this. Despite the fact I was underwhelmed, it's still a film that I've gone back to. And I still tend to watch the Halloween franchise at least once every year or two. Especially because now they've started making new films again. I do return to it quite a bit. I do get a lot of enjoyment out of it. One thing I do love about it is obviously it's part of that classic John Carpenter oeuvre. Not his directorial debut, he did, I think he did another one first, but it's one of his first movies that he did. It's on a, on a shoestring budget. The, the guy that owned the rights to it, was it um, like a card? He basically said to John Carpenter, can you make this for 150 or $200,000 or something like that? Or 300, I can't remember the exact number. Don't look to us for exact facts on this show either. We don't do facts. <laughs> if you want somebody that knows something, go fucking Wikipedia, that shit. But Anybody can do that. Yeah, one thing I love about it is it's got that classic Carpenter vibe that a lot of the later Carpenter stuff that I, that I love has. It's got the the soundtrack that works. It's got a lot of slow build of suspense and tension that goes. But yeah, that, that's one of the things I love. I'm a big John Carpenter guy. Yeah, I mean, I think the thing that we have to remember about this particular film, about Halloween, 
mentioned it before, it's from 1978. We are from a totally different generation and we've been a little bit spoiled with better special effects, better movie making techniques. We're a little bit spoiled in that respect. So picking up a film, which is even before my time, I know you're young, a lot younger than me, Damo, you're like a teenager compared to me. Um, but, you know, picking up something which is so old, you know, it's very different for us to watch it now. You know, when we're I so was... spoiled with so much stuff. I understand what you're saying. I get that a lot when I talk Halloween with people. And like I said, I'm not coming at this from like, I, I hate it at all. I, I, I get a lot of enjoyment from Halloween. But I, a lot of people come back and say, well, you've got to bear in mind it's 78 and stuff like that. But the Texas Chainsaw Massacre was 1973. Black Christmas was 1973. The Exorcist, oh no, 1974, sorry, both of them. The Exorcist was 1973. You know, you had The Omen, which was sort of, was that 76 or something like that? But like you had scary movies with different with harder edges than Halloween going into this. So. Oh yeah, definitely. But look at the reaction to some of those movies that you mentioned back when they were originally brought out. You know, people sat giving out leaflets to people because was, yeah. they were considered as so scary. I think Halloween kind of took a little bit step back from that to make it a little bit more commercial in its approach. So it's much more widely accepted than you know likes of the exorcism, which had yeah. people handed out. You know things that as people walked out of the cinema because it was so scary people trying to ban these movies and things like that whereas halloween kind of it dialed it back a little bit uh, to make it more acceptable it was still in a time where that type of horror that whole slasher that whole shock type of thing was still not that widely accepted true that i like to we're not going to go blow by blow on the plot but just so people have an outline of reference the film is about Michael Myers, a young boy of six who, uh, for no reason whatsoever, stabs his sister to death one Halloween night, is committed to an insane asylum, and then escapes and somehow manages to drive to Haddonfield, where he bumps into Laurie Strode and her friends, and proceeds to not do a lot, really, for a huge period of the movie, except stand up <laughs> and spooky. And then we it was a movie. massive, huge kind of build-up of tension and creepiness and everything else and it was one of those like is anything going to happen here a little bit like the creepy neighbor hiding behind a bush uh, but it started out quite quite cool actually you mentioned that obviously it's one halloween 1963 i think it was in the movie wasn't it uh halloween 1963 when he uh, yeah. he sort of you know walks upstairs and slashes the crap out of his, his sister and it's like a first person view isn't it as it first comes on which is quite good yeah, quite yeah like that. Like you've seen what... it through the mask eyes aren't you yeah, yeah absolutely and he's sort of like that's kind of nice after you've literally seen that Halloween credit thing scroll up for the like what seemed like forever before yeah, the, the actual movie the orange, kicked in. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and straight away as well, boobies. Boobies are always good. Boobies in the first few minutes. That that's I'm I'm down with that. I would say that the kill scene, like all the kill scenes in Halloween, pretty bad. Um, yeah, really, pretty tame. There was there was nothing really in that, was there? They're just really corny. I mean, I'm not looking for them to be crazy gory. I'm not saying that. But, like, there's a high amount of cheese for something that's meant to be so shocking and meant to be this universally scary movie. So when you see through the eye sockets of the um, of the mask and she sat there at a dresser and he's just been like... Doo -doo -doo -doo, it's quite cheesy. And, and similar, it is, yeah. similarly, when... Um, is it Annie who's the first one to die later on in the car? Yeah. Like, that's the worst death. One of the, one of the worst deaths I've ever seen in cinema where, you're like, he's built up for all this time, like standing and staring and like popping up and then dashing like a peeping Tom. And then you finally built up for this kill. It, it basically strangles up her back and then she does this thing like at the window where she's like, Aah! and her eyes just like, <laughs> yeah. go cross-eyed and it looks so fake, which is fine. I, I like schlock and I like corny stuff, but 
my argument really is with people that say this is the best horror movie ever made or one of the scariest movies ever made. Like, it's not really. It's definitely not one of the scariest movies ever made at at all. And even the reactions to the killings are pretty tame as well. I mean, you you take that first killing of his, you know, in 1963 of his sister and his parents come home just as he stood outside holding what should really be a blood-soaked knife, but there's really nothing on the knife at all. You don't really see anything. But the kid, the parents just stand there like looking at the kid. Obviously knowing what he's done, it's like the longest scene ever as the camera sort of like pans out. Like your kid's got a blood soaked knife. Yeah, they're almost like stood there looking at him like, yeah, just Michael, what have you been up to? (laughs) Explain, if you want an explanation of why do you have a blood soaked knife? Where's your sister? Explain yourself, young man. Yeah, (laughs) it's just a little bit, I don't drawn out for, what seemed like they wanted some kind of effect, but it just doesn't doesn't give anything. It's like they could have filled that that time with something better. Yeah, I agree. I think the soundtrack is big in this movie, though. Like when that happens, it's like there's a big dip in the like almost organ-like cheese to it, but it works really well. I think John Carpenter did a did a great job with the with the score on this one. I think the Halloween theme itself is one of the best in horror. Um, but as a, as a musician, though, because I know you're a musician as well, it is a bit simple. And I know it's from, from way ago. I guess there wasn't really any massive sort of big horror scores before that. You probably correct me on that. Um, but, yeah, it, was, it sounded pretty basic, pretty plinky-plonky, like a toddler playing on a piano. Yeah, but I think that came – I think that was born out of necessity, really, from budgetary requirements. So, I mean, but you, you can hear John Carpenter talk about it a lot. He talks about it on um, – in Search of Darkness, which is a horror documentary, I recommend everybody watch on Shudder. It's about four hours long. It just goes through the whole of the 80s looking at all the movies that came out. And there's a second part of it. It's fucking awesome. But yeah, on, on it, John Carpenter says, like, originally, you know, the budget was so small, we didn't have money for an orchestra or a big time muser to come in and score it. And he's a really accomplished musician himself. So yeah, he, is, yeah. he, um, he just, you know, he just bought a synth and fiddled around and did the whole score on that. And uh, yeah, I, I agree it's simple, but I mean, I think it's a bit odd because it's, you know, it's in a 5-4 time signature, which you don't get a lot of. Yeah, it's also in a lot of, sort of minor chords and stuff like that, yeah. so it does definitely feel uncomfortable. Um, I think it's one of the strengths of the movie, the score. I think it's one of the things that's got working in its favour. Um, yeah, I mean, it, it does kind of add, though, to the predictability as you go on, don't you think? You know, sort of when the music starts, you know, oh, here comes Mike, here comes Mike, he's coming. Yeah, that's one of those horror tropes, isn't it, really? Like, it's funny because there's the part where, um, you know, the kids, the, is it Tommy Doyle and, and the young girl that uh, Laurie and Annie are babysitting? Like, just when they find out that, my, that the boogeyman's there, uh, they run out and then the soundtrack kicks in and then they just start screaming. Like, there's no sign of Mike <laughs> whatsoever, Mikey whatsoever, but the soundtrack kicks in and they're just like, ah, like, did you hear that too? Did you hear that too? Um, another thing that I think this film really does have going for it, because all we've done is shit on this movie so far, um, <laughs> is I really like the long drawn out suspense of the movie going into it. So when uh, Annie and and Laurie and I can't remember the third girl's name, but yeah, when they're walking and you just see, you know, you'll see Michael and then it'll pan back and he's disappeared, or when they shout, when they see him stood at the end of the block and then they go look and he's gone. Yeah, a lot how, of... how does he? How does he know? How does he know that they're going to turn around right at that minute? I mean, that, that's that's sneaky, like creepy stalker stuff. That he's just a creepy motherfucker. That's what Mikey. <laughs> but that's the point. He's meant to be 
the boogeyman this is why when rob zombie did the remake in 2007 it came on for so much criticism because he becomes this hulking monster with this backstory he looks more like a pro wrestler that you know than the boogeyman and that's the whole point of, of michael myers in halloween is that simplistic be, yeah they, they call him yeah. the shape don't they he's meant to be the yeah. shape of fear yeah. that's the faceless movie. mask and everything isn't it it's you know yeah. it's about being a little bit uncomplicated very very simple type of fear yeah and then he's dis- he disappears and that it kind of plays on your mind did you sort of see that did i really just see that because when you look again it's not there yeah i get that it's very clever the way that they they sort of do that if you put yourself into you know the, the actual character's shoes of what they're actually seeing that would fuck with your mind it does yeah and it works in terms of building up suspense because you keep expecting something to happen but for so long, nothing really does happen. I don't know. I think they've definitely robbed Star Wars of a couple of sound effects. I mean, obviously the yeah. characters in the movie wouldn't have heard the Darth Vader breathing thing that he does. Wrong film, dickhead. Get back in. <laughs> Speaking Star of Wars. Star Wars, give me an opinion on Dr. Loomis. Do you know what? I, I can't unsee him from James Bond. Oh, yeah. I'm not a Bond. Obviously that, really. was, that, was, that was one of his, you know, sort of really big roles. And when I first sort of like looked at him, I hadn't realised before, because I was obviously so young when I saw it the first time. I was like, Oh, it's him from Bond, that villain. He just kind of needed like a furry cat um, <laughs> yeah, to make it all work in, in this movie. But yeah, with Loomis, I, I don't know. It's a bit of a corny character, isn't it? It's a bit yeah. a bit wishy-washy. I mean, th- there was one particular scene when they actually go to the Myers house and I was absolutely pissing myself. I watched it with my wife and it's where the window smashes. And my wife jumped before Loomis did on screen, which was, for me, was just hilarious. She literally jumped like two seconds before he jumped on. She's such a delayed reaction. I know it's in a film and stuff, and it's probably like delayed. It's not in time. But I like that jump scare feeling, you know, where it makes you jump. And this film didn't really do that. But, yeah, it was that little bit over-egged, it seemed for me, for Loomis as a character. It was a little bit, like, overacted. That's his whole stick, is he's meant to be, like, really hands it up. I really comes across as this crazy doctor i mean what i don't get is why the police department suddenly start taking orders from him when he comes to haddonfield and manages to get the <laughs> chief of police to follow him around the entire town all night i mean there's robberies going on. i mean when we first meet sheriff bracken who's annie's dad like he's he's at a crime scene where the shop's been broken into but suddenly he manages to take all of his time off so you know so that he can escort <laughs> dr loomis around hunting the shape another thing as well about bracken when laurie and annie are driving towards him like they're hotboxing that car the smoke that you know they, they've got a spliff on hand oh and yeah they're, they're what about the music though that's playing as he is that you see the car falling behind blue oyster yeah. Cult, don't fear the reaper brilliant oh, little yeah. touch that brilliant touch it is a great touch yeah but they're like hotboxing the car smoking smoking the spliff and then they pull up in front of his dad pull the window down and there's no smoke that comes out he can't you can't smell that shit like i would smell that shit I would smell, when you're driving and you're in traffic and you know somebody in front in one of the cars in front is smoking weed you can smell it i can so smell how a, the hell did i can that... smell a spliff three blocks down my road right now <laughs> but, but even if it off. wasn't even if it wasn't a spliff if it yeah. was just just normal tobacco which you probably shouldn't have been smoking yeah. you'd still smell that shit surely yeah it's one of one, one of the many misconceptions in in halloween but going back to loomis and star wars see i will bring it full circle that role was offered to a couple of people first before they got Donald Pleasance. So they originally offered it to Peter Cushing, General Tarkin himself from Star Wars, who turned it down because he'd just done Star Wars and thought he was a massive big shot now and didn't want to do this tiny little indie flick. And it was also offered to Christopher Lee, 
who turned it down. I'd have loved to have seen Christopher Lee take not take anything away from Donald Pleasance. He's one of my all-time favourite horror characters, but I'm a huge Christopher Lee fan. But he turned it down as well and then went on to say it was the biggest mistake he ever made um, in, in movies. I, I would argue that with him. I think appearing in The Howling 2, your sister is, my sister is a werewolf, is Christopher Lee's biggest mistake in movies. But um, that's, uh, that's a tale for another time. That's another time. But yeah, Loomis is, he is really corny, but at the same time, he's meant to portray this kind of obsession that grows more as we get through the franchise. He kind of sees Michael for what he is. He's worked with him for so long, and he's come to the conclusion that Michael is just evil, and he just now needs to be locked away. So when he escapes, he loses his shit. It becomes all about the chase and getting Michael back off the streets. I, yeah, I think it's corny, but yes, I also think the movie needs that. Yeah, I think you're probably right, actually. Um, I think without that type of character to tie it all together, it would lose something. I think he's the best actor in the movie. He's, he was the most expensive actor in the movie. I know that for a fact. I think they had about $30,000 left in the budget when they were casting. They're like, well, who can we get? We need to get someone good and they, they could afford Donald Pleasance. I think they had to add another $10,000 on and make, bring it up to 40000 and they got him for two weeks or something like that. So he just rocked up for two weeks, did his scenes and then fucked off. Which is such really? a Donald Pleasance thing, if you know. I mean, speaking like of sort of like, you know, big actors and stuff like that, it was quite nice to actually see Jamie Curtis in a role so young as well. Jamie Roll, yeah. From, we'll all know her from, you know, her later roles in so many big movies and stuff like that. To actually see her as young as she was, it, I don't think I've, I've ever seen her in a role that young. That's crazy, because I haven't seen her in, in the roles that you're talking about. I, I know her from horror growing up, and she was like a big screen queen in the you know late 70s, early 80s. So Halloween was the first movie I ever saw Jamie Lee in, from that, and a couple of others. So I've not really seen her in many of the uh, many of the later films that you're talking about. I think she gives an adequate performance in this. I mean, she's quite strong as a final girl. Yeah. She's it's, it's kind of an archetype for what would then go on to be the final girl, and I think she does a good job. Yeah, she's a pretty strong character in this, which is, is good. Yeah, I, I thought she gave a good performance, to be honest. it was She was one of the uh, the better ones, in my opinion, within it. There's a, a couple of weak performances, such as the uh, the whole orgasm death, as I'm going to call it, where it sounded more like she was actually <laughs> having sex than she was actually dying, which was just a bit poor. Um, and there's also a few characters in it as well, which are kind of really bit parts that don't really need to be there. Um, yeah, but, yeah, Jamie Lee was pretty good. I think both those deaths... With the uh, yeah, the orgasm death is hilarious. But also when is it Linda and her boyfriend Paul? When Paul dies, like Michael rocks off and stabs him with a knife and manages to pin him to the wall. I yeah, don't think that's how that works. You know, I'm sure that's not no, how physics works. No, I, and it was literally like he could pick up this huge guy and excuse the dog whining. She's <laughs> heard me talking about horror movies or either that she just really likes Jamie Lee Curtis but yeah it, it was if you actually look at the knife when it's actually this is about the, the whole realism and that organic side of things for me that I like in a movie that this one I, I didn't feel had in a lot of parts he literally you know he stabbed him and most of the knife wasn't actually in <laughs> at all and you're thinking hang on a minute this knife is actually holding up this whole guy's weight and then they cut obviously to the, like the side shot and you can sort of see it side and you can actually see maybe it's just the time and obviously like i said we've been spoiled by better effects from now but you can actually physically see that the knife is wobbling when he's, he's walking towards it but then when he actually pins into the wall you can see the knife is actually beyond him yeah, so it's yeah. not in it. You can see it's beyond him and the angles just aren't quite right for it. I was 1978, so obviously they were still using proportional camera work and stuff like that. <laughs> I get your point. That's not how physics works. It's a bit... Even, even Michael Myers was confused by it because he pins him to the wall and then he kind of looks at him like, does the head to one side, but like the puppy dog look. <laughs> even he looks confused by it. But, um, 
that being said, it's it's not the worst kill. I mean, it's silly because it wouldn't happen, but it's far from the worst kill. It's a good image of him just banging the knife through and pinning him to the wall. I think it's quite cool. Yeah, but for, for all the guy, you know, the, he literally picks him up pretty much one-handed, doesn't he? Picks up yeah. this, this guy and, like, you know, pins him to the wall and stabs him there. But then, really annoyingly, a knitting needle can, you know, literally take him down. I know. It's like, ah, a small prick, my one weakness. And then just bails down. It's, it's amazing how much of a killing machine Michael Myers is until the final act. <laughs> when he becomes absolutely shit at killing. Yeah, but, you know, he takes, what was it, six bullets, but he manages to, like, stumble over the balcony in this final scene, but not over the balcony, onto the balcony, and then throws himself off. Yeah. But you, you think of all the things that had happened before that. I think she'd stabbed him, hadn't he, with a knitting needle, and he literally, that put him out. I'm not quite sure what happened there. Maybe he hit a nerve in his neck and it paralysed him. I'm trying to think of a medical reason why that would work. Yeah, just a few little bits like that that I didn't find believable when building up to some what you expect to be quite an epic final battle. Yeah, that being said, there's some really great moments in this movie that kind of make it of an era. When you watch the movie, it's very distinctly, you know, late 70s, early 80s, that glow about it. You've got Linda, who says totally... After every sentence when she's talking, she's like, yeah, totally, totally. I think it's like 14 or 15 times in the in two minutes she manages to say it. Fucking great. But you can definitely you've been, tell you've, been, you've been going with a rewind button, haven't you? Yeah, that's how it. How many times started, is that? How many times has she said totally? Too many is how many times she said totally. <laughs> I'm not sure that's how people talk, but I wasn't a teenager in 1978. wasn't even a sparkle in my father's eye in 1978, so I can't be sure. Who knows? Another cool thing about this, have you ever seen Black Christmas? No, it's one I've not seen, but okay. one that I really do want to see, but I've never got around to seeing it. One of the arguments with Halloween is it's the original slasher. It's like the slasher that then spawned everything else, like Friday the 13th and Nightmare on Elm Street and all the other horror slashers of the 80s. But if you go back, what, six or seven years earlier, to 1974, 73, something like that, you get Black Christmas, which is about an escaped psycho who attacks a sorority house on Christmas and one by one picks off these girls. Um, Almost a familiar plot. It's a very familiar plot. It's a really good movie. I, I recommend you check it out. I think Margot Kidder's in it, one of her very early roles. And it's a great film. I highly recommend you check it out. It's been remade twice, skipped both of them, the shite. Um, we'll probably <laughs> cover it on this at some point. So yeah, but one of the interesting things is, it, for me, that's the first slasher movie. I mean, you've, you had Psycho back in the late 60s that kind of set a tone and, and the groundwork. But then I think that you've got Texas Chainsaw Massacre and Black Christmas in the early 70s. And they, for me, are much more of the first slasher movies than, than Halloween. And the interesting thing is John Carpenter, at one point in the mid-70s, was having a conversation with the director of Black Christmas. And he was like, well, what would you do if you did a sequel to Black Christmas? And the director were like, well, I'd just have a psycho escape from a lunatic asylum and go on a killing spree on Halloween. That's what I'd do if I did a sequel. <laughs> I mean, Years later. I mean, obviously, John Carpenter didn't rip it off because John Carpenter didn't write Halloween. He just directed it. It was written by someone else. He just got drafted onto the project. But it's a cool little, little coincidence. And I think there's a lot of similarities between Black Christmas and Halloween. Um, I would say Black Christmas is actually the far scarier movie. So highly recommend checking that out if you get the chance. Yeah, there's a, there's a few cool little bits like that in, in sort of Halloween as well, you know, relating to sort of the director and stuff like that such as the, the original The Thing, which was on TV that they were watching uh, when Laurie was babysitting the two kids. Yeah. And obviously, we, as we know, Carpenter went on to actually remake that movie as well. Whether he knew yeah. he was going to do that at the time, and that's why he selected the movie to be on TV. 
I don't know whether it's just one of those iconic horrors for a Halloween theme to watch. Uh, but it's, it's kind of a nice touch knowing what, what he went on to after. Yeah, it's one of those classic horror movies. I mean, I've never seen it myself, actually. It's called Thing From Another World. I do know Carpenter loves that movie, though, because he talks about it on that documentary. But yeah, I mean, I would say it's, you know, it's a low-budget movie. It was huge. It went on to make like a bazillions of dollars. I don't know how much. Check Wikipedia if you need to know. But this thing like shit money for the longest time and inspired an entire generation. I mean, yeah, I said I prefer Black Christmas, but this took Black Christmas and really built on that, built on the frameworks, developed it into something similar, slightly different probably just caught the public awareness at the right time and you know yeah, it just it spawned a great you know horror villain didn't it you know in yeah. michael myers you know you think about halloween everybody knows michael myers you know whether you've seen all the films or not whether you've only seen the more modern ones and stuff like that you know everybody knows michael myers as a character and you know it spawned a really really good horror character that you know is still being invested into movies now obviously we've got a new one coming out so obviously done a good job uh, as well as inspiring it's not one of my favorites as well as as an inspired movie character, definitely inspired a generation of other slasher movies yeah, in absolutely. the 80s. You know, without, you know, Sean Cunningham, who did the original Friday the 13th, said that they were just looking to make something like Halloween. That's why they did it on Friday the 13th, because they, they just wanted to do it on a holiday or a memorable day, like you had Halloween. You say they did Friday the 13th. Um, yeah, something people can relate to. Yeah, something like a holiday day. You know, it inspired things like Freddy Krueger in A Nightmare on Elm Street, like Maniac, like all these awesome slasher movies, Graduation Day, Prom Night, Terror Train, all these really cool slashers that came about in the 80s. You don't get any of those without Halloween. So despite it not being as good as people make it out to be, you can't deny its influence on pop culture. No, not at all. I mean, just to put a bit of a bow on this and wrap it up, because uh, we don't want to go on too long, because I've got shit to do, you got shit to do, you don't want to be sat listening to podcasts all day. Um, I just don't want to be looking at your face anymore, to be honest. Bitch. I'm, I'm liking the little, tilt, tilt to the side. Are you going to be trick-or-treating in that on Halloween? Yeah, the problem is we're going to be releasing this on YouTube. But if you're listening to this on Spotify or any of the, uh, any of the ones that are not visual mediums, you're just going to be like, what the fuck's going on here? Lots of moody silences. Well, I'm just posing in the, in the mask. Um, posing in sort of an LED mask. You, you'll all have seen them pop up on adverts on Facebook for like creepy masks with the like LED cross eyes and the weird little venom face. And he's wearing oh, yeah, a hoodie but... pretending to be all hard and, and intimidating, but he's actually a bit of a softy underneath. No, it. no, just... no. I'm scary. Trust me. Check this out. Check this shit. <laughs> Ooh. Oh, wow. It flashes. One for the epileptics. <laughs> anyway, let's put a bow on Halloween 1. We've talked about it for a while now. so yeah, Let's um, give it a rating. Just... I think we've got to give it a rating. Well, you go first. You Give us your rating. I'm going go to go for a, a very solid two and a half on this one. Not my, one of my favourite movies. I don't think it ever will be. It is an old film. And for the time when it actually did, like we said, it spawned a lot of other horror slasher movies and stuff like that. So it's clearly iconic in its time. So I can't ignore that. I said, not one of my favourite movies, so it's probably two and a half out of five. Two and a half out of five. It's a bit harsher than I'm going to be, actually. Like, <laughs> I, I have shit on this movie quite a bit, but I shit on all my favourite movies. I, I pick them apart and just laugh at them, but it doesn't mean I don't love them. I, I tend to watch this at least every year or at least every other year. It's one of those movies that if you put it on with a group of friends, you're not going to upset anyone. You're not going to, you know, if you've got somebody that gets a bit too scared of horror movies, you're not going to kill the party. Not like if you put something like I spit on my grave 
or something absolutely insane on. It builds well. It's got a lot of suspense. I love the soundtrack. I'm a big Carpenter fan. Some of the kills are very silly. I don't think it's one of the greatest horror movies ever made. I don't want to do out of five. I'm going to do out of ten. Seven boyfriends pinned to a wall with a stupid knife out of ten. That's, <laughs> that's going to be my uh, my go-to on this one. So we're grading out of ten, then. Solid five for me. Yeah, I mean, I'm looking forward to going through the franchise. Again, it, there's a lot of them. Some better than others, so... We'll get into them more. Just rules for the franchise as well for people that are tuning in. So we we basically are going to dictate a franchise as anything that's got more than one movie. So whether it's got one sequel or whether it's got a remake or a prequel or whatever, as long as there's more than one movie, we will touch it. We will touch that shit all over. We don't want to do ourselves out of any potential movies out there. Sending your requests for franchises that you want us to cover let us know what you think of Halloween in the comment section. Also, let yeah, us sure know. Sure, people are going to disagree with us, absolutely, and that's that's cool. Yeah, I mean, we've kind of come out episode one shitting on Halloween. But like I say, it's still a seven out of ten for me. I still very much enjoy this movie. Uh, but yeah, let us know in the comments. Find us on Facebook, your facebook.com forward slash ebargore. Also, Twitter, at ebargore. I've also got a TikTok coming, have we, Tris? TikTok. I think, yeah, we've got a TikTok going where you'll be seeing me and Damo doing some really, really stupid dances and stuff like that. There'll be there'll be none of that shit. I'm I'm nearly forty. I do not get TikTok. I'm not not gonna not gonna lie. Although I do find it quite amusing to to look at other people's videos. So I'm sure we'll we'll find some way of making it work. But yeah, there will be a TikTok coming. I think Instagram, Twitter, Facebook. All the rest of it. Something called Twitch. I don't know what that is either. Twitch. Twitch. That's video games. Isn't that fair enough? You've ruined it now. You've gone one step too far. (sighs) I I was just looking at this. I'm 40. I'm nearly 40. Dude. Thanks for tuning in. We have been Ebagor. I am Damien. I am Driss.